the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We continue our study in the book of the first Samuel, and we saw that so far we are in the age of kings. We saw Saul starting good, and after a while he started drifting away from God. Last time we started the introduction of David the prophet, and we saw that David was a very young child, that his parents didn't think of him even as being significant. And we saw that God chose him to be the next king. And even though God chose him to be the next king, he will not be inaugurated as a king until many years later. But in the eyes of God, David is the king and Saul is no longer the king. Last time we saw also that David the prophet in a way, is very similar to Joseph. He is in mistreated by his brothers, and they look at him and belittle him. And just like Joseph became the leader in Egypt, David will become the king of Israel. Last time also we saw that there was a war between the Philistines and the Israelites, and that's a very common theme throughout the Old Testament, where the constant enemy to Israel is Philistines and they were standing on two mountains and in between them there's a valley and we saw last time there's a giant or a warrior his name is Goliath and he's huge he's about nine feet tall and he is just some of his armors are like over 120 20 pounds just what he carries and he has like a guy in front of him carrying a shield so he's a really giant warrior and he comes every morning and tells them, he ridicules the Israelites and be like, any of you can fight me, I'm willing to fight any of you. And we saw that all the army of Israel were so scared. If you remember one of the earlier, uh, one of the earlier chapters, we said that Saul had about almost now in the, in, the hundred, in the tens of thousands of people. So tens of thousands of warriors None of them felt the courage to fight, to fight Goliath. Now, David's dad told him, go take some food and go visit your, uh, your brothers and feed them. Obviously, at this point, David does not know anything about Goliath. So now we see that David came, woke up the next morning, when, as dad told him. He took the food with him, and now he's going to give the food to his brothers. This is where we at, at verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 22. It says, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. So David, once he, once he arrived, he left the food to the supply keepers. And see, the good thing about David, he's not like saying, you know what, I left the food, I delivered what my dad wants me to do. He actually went to hug and greet his brothers. And that's beautiful because we saw how his brothers were mean to him. They were not nice to him. And that's always important for us as the children of God. We treat people in the same way regardless of their action. Our hearts are always open. We do not repay evil with evil. Our hearts are always open to everybody. And the, the David went to check on his brethren in the midst of the danger. Then as he talked with them, there was a champion. So as David was talking to his brother, there was a champion, the Philistines of Gath. 
Goliath, coming from God, by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. You see, you might look at this, and you feel like this is all accidents. But there is a detailed plan at the time that David went to see his brothers, the same time the Philistines came out of that specific day, he started saying the same exact words. David was not going that day to become a hero. He was going that day to do his typical task that was asked by his father. He was asked to do something so minor, deliver food. That's what he was asked. But here's the thing, when David heard the words of the Philistine, who kept telling them, you're the servants of Saul, who are you? You're not the children, and start making fun of them. David's ear is different than anybody's ear. David's ear is different than anybody's ear. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, what did they do? Fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. The reactions of all the warriors, fear. Like imagine you have an issue and you call the police. The police come to your house and the police himself is afraid. How are you going to feel? The warriors themselves are what? Afraid. So then the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. You see, when people came out of the battle, they saw him. Every time people, obviously, you have to understand how the scene works. Goliath will come out every morning and say, anybody want to challenge me one-on-one? -on -one? Nobody comes. But every morning there is wars between that every, every, every camp will send a few soldiers fighting each other. Maybe like an attack here and attack there. So Goliath will go fight with his soldiers. Everybody, all the Israelites, when they see him, they run away. So the king, to entice them to fight him, he said, if you fight him, I will give you my daughter as a wife and I will exempt you and your house from taxes. Like, Usually a household will be about 50 to 100 persons. So he says, I will also give you, I will make you royal, because you're going to become now married into the, into the king. And also, I will, I will give you something for free. Obviously, Saul is becoming helpless. And sometimes you have to ask yourself this question. If fear is not an enough motivator, Sometimes nothing is. And if somebody's afraid of something, if you give them so much money, they might not do it. If somebody, for example, tells you you're scared of snakes, for example, tell you I'll put you in a cage of snakes. You're like, no way. It's like, I'll give you a million dollars. You're like, even if you give me a million dollars, I won't get into the cage. When people were that afraid, even the gifts are not enough to move them. Even the gifts are not enough to move them. Why? Because their life is on the line. Taban, 
This is, this is very, very typical human response. Can you imagine with me? All the nation of Israel have seen miracles of God fighting with them. We saw the war with Saul, with Jonathan, his son, with Samuel, the prophet. Most of them were alive. But they have forgotten all the work of God on him. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him. Finally, David spoke and said, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistines and take away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistines that should defy the armies of the living God? So the verse is a little confusing, but it's so beautiful. Finally, David spoke and in David's speech, you, will teach, you see two parts that are important. One is finally somebody who speaks with the identity of the child of God. He says, who is this uncircumcised? Who is this man who will challenge our God? He's the first person to bring the name of the living God into the conversation. God disappeared from the conversation of the army. By the way, some people are good talkers and they might say the right words, but David feels what he says. He says, we are, I'm a child of God. We are children of God. What is this guy gonna do to us? But then David is so smart. He says, so what is the gift of the guy who's gonna defeat this giant? Why is he asking that question? I don't know. It will be clear as we come, but maybe to try to cover his true intention. Maybe he's trying to find the right way in to volunteer to fight him. Maybe he's trying to motivate the army and the soldiers because gifts obviously is not gonna, is not gonna excite them. They're gonna die. But maybe if they know that God is with them and this is a holy war, maybe the, the motive will be different. Maybe he is trying to most likely ask this question so people can start talking. And the words will be, will arrive at the palace, at Saul's office. When he asked this question, people will be curious. Who is this person that is asking about the reward for killing Goliath? Why is this important? Because sometimes we need wisdom on how to volunteer for an act or a service or a mission. Sometimes people think they are the most qualified and they volunteer. Sometimes asking around and letting the word spread in a certain way is helpful. Also, sometimes when you make a decision, let's say you're a servant, or you work in a company, or, you have, or you're making a big decision, sometimes it's wise that you ask a few people around you, oh, what do you think if we do this? And then they will ask other people, and ask other people. And then some people say, oh, we're here. And then you start feeling, giving, getting feedback. 
instead of making a decision public, and then you embarrass yourself. So sometimes it's wise to try to get a feel of what is that decision. Because if he goes as a young, David is a little boy, he's a little baby. He says, I want to fight Goliath, they're going to be like, get out of here. What is this? But he has to feel the water, what kind of a thing, okay? And the people answered him and said this manner, saying, so it shall be done for the man who kills him. So basically they repeated what is the reward for Goliath. He's going to marry the soul's daughter. We're going to give tax exemption, all that stuff. Now Elihab, who's Elihab? His oldest brother, the oldest brother of David, heard when he spoke to the men. And Elihab, anger was aroused against David and said, why did you come down here? And with whom you have left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Wow. David is asking a question. Now you see why he didn't volunteer. Now you'll see the wisdom of some time. How can you approach a situation? His brother, it seems like, saw him talking to soldiers and maybe he was giving them a motivational speech to help them to fight and be strong. His brother comes and tells him, who do you think you are? Where did you leave the sheep with? Go play. Go go outside the room. The elders are speaking. That's what he's basically telling him. Who do you think you are? And then his brother starts describing him with very difficult words. He's telling him, you're, you're, you're insolent, you're disobeying. These words are, dis- are used to, to, to describe people who disobey God. And sometimes, by the way, this happens. When you serve, and when you try to do something good for God, the devil will try to always put in front of you pride. Oh, you might be prideful. Oh, you might be prideful. Oh, be careful because you're going to be prideful. But sometimes what we don't realize is pride is there, whether you do the service or don't do it. You guys understand? Now, for example, standing and leading in the microphone might feel prideful. Somebody standing on the side might feel also prideful. Look, I'm standing praying. Everybody sees me praying. Pride can be anywhere. has nothing to do with the task you're doing. So his brother is trying to delay him from the work of God. And by the way, this is a very difficult spiritual war. It's not easy. When I am trying to please God and somebody tells me, no, 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 what you're doing is not going to please God. It's actually going to make him unhappy. And especially coming from his brother. But look what David said. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Shufu, David is very wise. First of all, he did not insult his brother back. His brother told him, you're prideful, you're arrogant. And by the way, his brother, his, even his own sentence does not make sense. He's telling him, you're prideful because you came to watch the battle. How is that pride? 
So it seems like his brothers didn't only think of him as a young boy, useless, but also did not really yani, love him and appreciate him and try to take him in and under their wings. They, it seems like to, they mistreated him. But David did not answer back with an insult. They didn't tell him, you call me prideful? Have a look at you. You're afraid. Can you go fight Goliath? You're nobody. No, none of this stuff. He says, what did I do? What did I say? I'm just asking a question. I'm just asking a question. That's why he was very wise, David, and not volunteering right away. He asked the question. He asked the question, and he went slowly, 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 until we'll see the words come to, to Saul. Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So basically, once David left his brother, what did he do? He went to another group. So what is Saul going to give to this man who beats Goliath? He already knows the answer. He already heard it ten times. But why is he doing this? He's trying to get the words out to Saul that there is a child who's interested in fighting Goliath. If he volunteers himself, people might not take him serious. He's trying to see what is the pathway to get to, a, to this task. You see the wisdom? Sometime we run, we jump, and we act and try to take lead, and we're happy to take lead, and then we'll make everybody uncomfortable. Now, finally, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. That's what he's trying to do. And he sent for him. Saul sent for David. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistines. When he came in front of the king, the king told him, Can you fight? David told him, Don't let, it, don't let anybody be scared. I will go and fight these Philistines. I was actually thinking about this the other day. It's something that's not written in many commentaries. But so there's another significant man in, in this, in this uh, circle, Jonathan, Saul's son. And we know that Jonathan, before he defeated the enemies through the faith of God, what is Jonathan in this story? Maybe Jonathan, old and young, courage, maybe got a bit weaker. Or maybe he felt this is much bigger than him. Or maybe he started to learn to calculate things in a worldly way. Jonathan is a beautiful man. We'll see how wonderful he is. But in this story, he's absent. And it means that even spiritual and holy people, sometime, not every single battle with the devil, their faith is always on fire to overtake it. Sometime their faith gets weaker. And the old love and the zeal for God might grow cold sometime. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistines to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. 
David, everywhere he goes, there's somebody who puts an obstacle in front of him. Goliath looks huge. He's a giant. He's a big disaster. His brothers tell him, you're prideful. You're fighting this because you're just, you, you're, you're, you're asking all these questions because you're just not a holy man. You're very prideful. You're selfish. Now, Saul tells him, you are very little. You know nothing. This man has experience for many, many, many years. It's almost like every person, all of us can have giants in our life. Something that makes us afraid. Something that, somebody that intimidates us. Some things that make us stray away from God. Some, some things that steal our thoughts and our hearts and our minds from being in the presence of God. Giants in our life. And, the, and these giants try to take us from all over the place. They can't stand seeing you happy. And once you let a giant take over, he will take over. He will take over. David has a very different take on all of this stuff. He knows that things do not happen by the power or might of men, but by the Spirit of God. He has a strong faith. There is a chance he would die. Yes, there's a chance he would die. Is he willing to take the chance? Yes, he's willing to take the chance. You're a shepherd. You can't fight. I know. But I look at things differently. You don't have the experience. I know. But God is with me. One of the dangerous things sometimes, and it's not all the time, but sometimes, people turn the church into an institution. Every time we need experts, we need opinions of experts, so and so. And what about, where is God? Where is the Spirit of God? We want to turn everything into what the world looks like. And then the church will just become another social institution. That will be a disaster for the church. And David said to Saul, look what happened to him. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of, my, of the flock, obviously uh, lions and bears were very common in this area. So he's telling, so, so Saul is telling him, you can't fight this. So David opens his heart, tells him, look, I used to look after the sheep. And when a lion or a bear come to take a lamb, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Obviously, bear, bear don't have a beard, but he talks about the throat. Another translation is the throat. So David is telling, David has personal and secret experiences with God. He didn't reveal this to his father, to his brothers, nobody. But he revealed it, revealed, revealed it to Saul because he's trying to tell him that don't look at how young I am, 
I also have experience, but my experience is with God. He tells him, your servant has killed both lion and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistines will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. So powerful. This is a child. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the palm of the lion and from the power of the, of the bear, he will deliver me from the hands of the Philistine. And Saul said that they will go and the Lord be with you. Wow. Look at this. When David defeated the lion and the bear, he knew that he defeated them by what? The power of God. He did not say, oh, I defeated them by my strength, my techniques, my power. I defeated them by the power of God. The question for us, can I look at some experiences in my life and say, this is the hand of God? with certainty, with confidence, this was the hand of God. Or do I look at my life and I say, oh, I've done this, oh, I have achieved this, oh, I, am, I did this. David knows that God saved him. Almost also makes me wonder, did Saul believe David? Or did he just kind of agree with him because he was desperate? He had nobody else wanted to fight. But you know what's so beautiful about this verse? The response of Saul. Saul said to David, what did he tell him? Go and the Lord be with you. Saul, who has not talked about God in a long time. The Spirit of God lifted him. And an evil spirit joined him because of how much David is talking about God. Saul himself told him, Go, God be with you. The type of people that I put around me can change my life completely. can change my life completely. David, who loves the Psalms, who prays with God all the time, just standing, and I tell you guys, to be honest with you, it is intimidating enough for a child to be in front of a king. Yet alone, to be so courageous. Yet alone, to disagree with the king. All what's happening so far is a great miracle. And David knows it. So Saul, Saul, God be with you, but he still likes to use the human ability. So Saul closed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head. He closed him with the coat of mail. Obviously, picture kid, a young boy, you know, and you put a big helmet on him and a, and a, and a bronze uh, a, a bronze helmet and an armor. He's not going to be able to walk. He's, he's not trained with this. So David obviously put him on. It's a really funny picture. You know, he probably the, the helmet goes, covers his eyes. 
the kid doesn't, is, this is not comfortable. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk. He put the sword where it tried to walk. For he had not tested them, never used a sword before. And David said to Saul, no, 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 I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. You see, to me, when you look at this, it shows that David is truly a courageous child. The king is telling you to put on the armor. And you're like, no, 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 it's not going to work for me. Then يعني, you, barely, you barely made him trust you. And barely made him agree that you're going to go fight Goliath. He's telling you, put the armor, and you're going to tell him, no, no, I can't put it on. There's a difference when I'm walking with God. I don't see people. I see goal that I'm going to. I want nothing from anybody. I want to be in the presence of God. People tend to treat people who are powerful or who are wealthy in a different way because deep inside of them, they want to expect something back from them. But the person who lives and wants nothing from anybody always lives above the world. Then David took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd bag and pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistines. It's a really interesting story. David took his staff. David looks like a shepherd. Staff and a sling. A sling used to be actually a military weapon. And in the book of Judges, uh, chapter 20, uh, there were about 700 left-handed Benjaminite slingers. So this sling, that this used to be a weapon. But David took with him five kid stones, put them in a small bag with him, the galabeya, the garment, the staff, and go into fight. Actually, uh, one of the bishops one time was talking to us about this passage and he said something beautiful. He said that David took five stones. Why five? He said because some of the traditions say that Goliath had four other brothers. So it's not like he was worried that if he hits one or he will miss. He was confident that with the five he can kill Goliath and four of his brothers. You can't see him from the floor, kid. At the kid. Then the Philistines looked about and saw David. He disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. Tarfin, when the Goliath saw David, what did he start doing? He said, He started either. He despised David. You guys, this scene, by the way, looks similar to what scene, the scene of the cross. Our Lord is a shepherd, 
who looks very weak on the cross. And the whole world is laughing and mocking him. And nobody understands the power of the children of God. They were expecting a different kind of a savior, the people of Israel. And in the old days, Israel and, Galah and the Palestinians were expecting a different kind of a savior, not David, not a shepherd, not this young, not this inexperienced. So the Philistines said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. When the Philistines saw a little kid with a stick, told him, do you think I'm a dog? You're coming to move me kid with a stick? He felt insulted that David is coming to fight him. And he cursed him by his gods, by, by Goliath gods. Be careful because all of this is a reflection only of our spiritual life. Goliath tend to be the idea or the problem or the issue that consumes my thoughts, my minds, my heart all the time. And it hits me from different ways. Fear, gifts, spiritual issues, challenges, ridicule, making fun of me, every angle it hits me. It hits me every angle. Doubt, everything. But David goes with a different mindset that this world does have a God and he is my God and I am his child and I trust in him from all my heart, with all my life. We cannot say the word trust when things are calculated. It's not trust. When I cannot say the word trust, trust when the path is clear, it's not trust. The word trust comes when I have to do something reckless beyond what the logic would say. And the Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So basically, the, the Philistines, Goliath said, you know, I'll fight you, it's no problem. But he told him, I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. In, the, in this area, in the area of Philistines, not burying the dead is worse than death. If you don't bury your family or your relative, it's worse than death itself. You see this in 2 Samuel 21, in Psalm 79, in Isaiah 34, in Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 8. If it's different, it's a different story when you kill somebody, different story when you don't even bury them. And by the way, these traditions are still carried on in some of the Middle Eastern country, countries. So here he's telling him, it's not only I will kill you, I will not give you the, the thing that everybody wants the most, which is an honorable barrier. 
You see, people can tell you be courageous, but they can always tell you there's a limit to how much you can be courageous. And I, I want this to be applied to our life. When I'm telling you be courageous, I'm not asking you to go and step on people's life. But we're asking ourselves to be courageous in our own life, with our own self, with our own actions. Everybody, for example, now obsessed with, you know, the stocks. And everybody's obsessed with their money in the stock market. Be courageous. Everybody is obsessed with cheating online. Be courageous. Everybody is obsessed with a new sharif, a new brand. Well, be courageous. David did not fight Goliath overnight. He defeated a bear and a lion in his own flock. I cannot live my life like everybody else. We like to be courageous when people are watching. But true courage does not come from people. True courage comes from convictions, from what you believe. The principles you live, that's where courage comes from. Then David said to the Philistines, this is a beautiful verse, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Obviously, this is a different yani, verse we can spend a full day on. He tells him, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and a shield, kida, but I come to you with the name of the Lord of hosts. I am simply a tool in the hands of God. I am not, I'm nobody. This is not words that David are saying. These are things that he is internalized and he realizes. Because by the way, I'll tell you guys something. One of my biggest worries in our generation now, this is a big disaster in our generation, that people worship God with nice fancy words that their hearts does not reflect them. We became so good at saying the right words and prayers without reflecting what's inside the heart. These called, these called hypocritical prayer. This is not the prayer that God wants. David, the prophet here, is saying what's in his heart. He has no confidence in flesh. He has no confidence in his ability to shoot the slings or his experiences with the lion or the bear. He has confidence in the need. That means this man has a real relationship with God. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give you I'll give you the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds and the, of the air and the wild beasts of the earth and all the earth may know that there is God in Israel. David, imagine little boy telling him, hey, in this day, I will put you into my hand, deliver you into my hand. Taban, Goliath, nine feet tall. And David's hand is three inches. 
with so much confidence this day, today, I will take you into my hand. By the way, in, in this expression, this day, some of the scholars say it has some sort of legal connotation of certainty. So this is not simply just he's making a statement, but he's almost kind of saying the case is done. And he's telling him the Lord will deliver you for two purposes. One that the whole world may know that there is a God in Israel. And he's a true God. And that you know that the Lord saves by himself. He, he's telling him God will deliver you into my hand. So people can know there is a God in Israel. And God delivers by himself. Honestly, I tell you guys, I think these are sometimes the reasons that God, that God might not work in us as much. Because we put ourselves into the equation. He's telling him God will deliver so people know that God exists. God will deliver so people know that God will deliver for himself. I don't really like to say a lot of stories, but I want to tell you a small story to explain this idea. This is story was mentioned by Pope Shenouda, uh, by Abuna Lo about Pope Shenouda, Abuna Lo Sadaros. He said, this is a story that Pope Shenouda told Abuna Lo himself. When he was, before he became a monk, he said one of the relatives became atheist. So everybody tried to talk to him and all the stuff, and then nobody could convince him. So all of them said, the only person that can convince him is Nazir Gayib. This is the name of Pope Shinoda before he became a Pope. But they brought him to Nazir Gayib, Pope Shinoda, and he sat with him. And uh, Nazir Gayib said, we talked and we argued back and forth. And he said at the end, thank God, he, he believed in God and not only any God, the Christian God and the Holy Trinity. He said this, strangely enough, a few couple of weeks later, all the thoughts and doubts and the question that this person had started attacking me, attacking Pope Shenouda himself. And he said, I tried to pray and do matanias and do everything in my power so these thoughts can go away. Until after a while, God reminded me of a small kid, a miracle that happened in Pope Shunda's life that helped him to restore his faith. Why am I telling you this? It's because the same war that was on this kid, it attacked the Pope. As he guided at the time. Unless we do things for the glory of God and the glory of his kingdom, and be thankful that he allowed us to work in his kingdom. It will be unreasonable for God to work with us. Unreasonable. Does not make sense. I tell you, come work for a business. Come work for my store. And you take the sign tomorrow and put your name on the store. Doesn't make sense. 
So it was when the Philistine arose, arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. This kid is unbelievable. No, no fear. The Goliath is coming. He's running. So much courage. No fear. No doubt. This man is going to fight. He trusts in God. This is what happens when you don't have sins in your life. When you talk to God constantly, when you pray constantly, you run. Then David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistines in his forehead so that the stone sank into his, into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Wow, this whole story, this huge giant, nine feet, 125 pounds, with bronze, with iron, with somebody carrying his tree, cool, all this, with fear, fear, fear. After 40 days, he mocks the Israelites. It took less than 30 seconds for a little kid to bring him down. This, what the, by the way, what the devil does in our life. Any small problem, he makes it a giant. Everybody talks bad about me. Oh, everybody must be doing this to me. He makes it like a giant in your head. It's just a, a little problem. All what it takes is just a small prayer. It takes down the giant in no time. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hands of David. Obviously, when David killed him, he needs to cut his head. And when David went to fight the Goliath, he had no sword, a sling. And by the way, it always reminds us that the way we defeat the devil is through the cross. He went with a staff and a sling. A cross, which is, staff is made out of wood, it means by humility, by love, by, com by giving up my opinion, by obedience, by encouraging people. That's how I defeat the devil. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And the Philistines saw, and when the Philistines saw that, that their champion was dead, they fled. David had no sword. He jumped over the Philistines. Obviously, the Philistines is huge. So to get his sword, like David cannot just put his hand across his chest to grab a sword. He's so young, so small. He jumped over him and got, got down to get the sword. People watching couldn't believe this. This is unreal. And this is what happens, by the way, with the devils and the, and the demons. When they see a child of God is able to live a life of the children of God, they don't believe it. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistine far as far as the entrance of the valley of the gates of Akron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road of Sharim, even as far as Gath and Akron. Sharim, this is, means two gated areas. So this is the road that was laid into Gath and Akron. Remember, a while ago I was telling you there are five key cities in the Philistines area. So they were going through the road to go back to the cities. David's courage and prayer and life 
made all of Israel become courageous. Made all of Israel believe in God. Made all of Israel change the way they celebrate Christmas. Made all their family change the way they go about their spiritual life. There are many stories I can tell you today about many children who change their own families because of their courage and their love for God. Last verse for today, then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. They took all the richness and as a memory of the work of God. I want to tell you just an idea before we conclude. The work of God in my life always sometimes has to be so obvious in order for me to see it. Because God comes every day in the daily small things, but I don't see him. Sometimes God has to make himself obvious. So he will speak loud. How loud? A problem will be loud. A problem will be complicated. An issue will be difficult. I might lose everything. Yes, I know. I have nothing else to do. I know. I have to trust in God. I know has to be loud so hopefully after the story is done and after the victory is obtained you don't go back and say oh but it must happen because of this God complicates the problem so 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 much so when the victory comes I could say this is God's work it will be sad if I attribute the work of God to myself or I forget to thank him, forget to praise him, I forget to talk to him. It will be extremely sad. David, the prophet, knew in his life when God worked. You can imagine that he has a diary in his head of all the times, of all the moments when he saw the hands of God clear in his life. Hopefully, all of us this year, Whenever we f remember Kida, a work of God with us on any specific day, I just don't let it go pass by. At least write it down. At least remember it at the end of the year. At least Kida, eh, try to offer thanksgiving and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's Kida 